This is Passing for Normal, conversations with artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, innovative change makers. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and how to find the courage to create change in your life and with those around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where my guests today are from the Cancer Support Community, Los Angeles. And so if you or anyone you know have cancer, you're going to want to listen to this show. Executive Director Julia Forth and Program Director Dr. Shannon LaCava join me as we talk about the transformative powers of information, hope, and community offered at the Cancer Support Community for people with cancer and their families. With 50 chapters nationwide, the cancer support community engages the essential connection between emotional well-being and physical well-being and addresses not only the whole person, but the whole family when looking at how to treat the disease of cancer, how to live full lives with cancer, and perhaps live even fuller lives because of cancer. So welcome, Julia, and welcome, Shannon. Thank you, Sharon. This is Julia. Great to be here. I'm so glad to be talking to you. You know, I've known about the cancer support community since its earlier days as the wellness community, probably something like 30 years ago. But its work mm-hmm. and its mission is still the same, to support cancer patients mm-hmm. and their families in every aspect of their lives. So, Julia and Shannon, before we begin, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about um, about you and about what brought you to the cancer support community and why. Sure. Uh, Well, this is Julia speaking, and um, I have been the executive director of the Cancer Support Community Los Angeles since March 2014, but I have been with CSC for almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. since the late 90s, wearing a variety of hats and working very closely with our founders, Dr. Harold Benjamin and his wife, Harriet Benjamin. Um, When I first came here over 20 years ago, a little bit more than 20, my father at the time had um, stage 4 colon cancer back in Virginia, and it was quite an eye-opening experience to be here in this community of people um, doing their best with a cancer diagnosis, fighting for recovery, and uh, learning about the mind-body connection. Great. And Shannon? Yes, actually, so I... um, I had an aunt who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and that was kind of a push for me to get back into school, and I got my doctorate in psychology with the hope to to work with people that had cancer. My uh, clinical experience while getting my training was also in the pediatric cancer realm. I worked at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. And when I started here at the Cancer Support Community, I'm hopeful to really grow the program to even offer more pediatric and children, teen, family services, along with the adult services that they've done for so long. Wonderful. So um, can you talk a little bit about the services that you do offer? Sure, Shannon, I'll let you take that as the head of our program, our wonderful program here. Absolutely. So we have what we call like five pillars of support. We offer emotional uh, counseling, so that would be in the form of our, our support groups. We also have individual counseling. We have healthy lifestyle classes that range from yoga to Pilates to Tai Chi and many different mindfulness programs. We have educational workshops where we invite 
um, professionals in the field of oncology and in supporting services to come and speak to, at our community. We also have a growing children's program and social activities. So it doesn't have to be about cancer. Sometimes it's more about just those social connections and, and being with one another. So those are a little bit of what our offerings look like, and we have many busy days here at the community. I know you do. <laughs> and all of these programs are for free. That's correct. Everything here is free of charge. It always has been. And when the Benjamins started this um, community in 1982, as the wellness community at that time, that was very much part of um, our charter, if you will. And we have never charged a penny. None of our communities around the country charge anything for our services. So why do you feel that free services are important? I mean, beyond the... beyond not costing people something. There's something about offering free services that I think is very important to what you're doing. That's a really interesting question, Sharon. Uh, Shannon, I, I think I hear you beginning to answer. Do you want to jump in first? Oh, uh, Go right ahead. Okay. Well, you know, that's interesting, too, because, you know, the Benjamins, Harold Benjamin was a lawyer in town. They certainly, um, you know, had the money to deal with their cancer, but they did know what a strain and a stressor it was. And so now there's a lot of talk about the financial toxicity of cancer, you know, that having to pay for such, um, I think you used the word essential share, and such mm-hmm. essential services for, for cancer patients and their family creates so much anxiety you know, no matter how much money you have, you know, you can, some people take three buses to get here and then other people drive in in their Bentleys. You know, we, we do not, um, we don't charge a penny to anyone. And I, and it really, I think is about that stress and extra anxiety of, of having to pay for services. Um, it just lifts that completely. And people walk in here and they can take a deep breath and know that's, that's not something they have to deal with paying for these services. Absolutely. And, and just for somebody coming in for the very first time, coming into a new community can be difficult. And that's one thing we always want to praise people that come in for the very first time, that coming through those doors, um, we understand that that can sometimes be a, a hard choice or maybe people have waited a little bit before coming in. Some come immediately. But even the, the point of having it be at no cost and allowing for someone to come in on their own time and then whatever we can do to make it easier from here on out for them to, to gain in these services, I think it just makes it so much more accessible. Even hearing that people go to doctor's appointments and it's 12 to $18 for parking, we're able to validate our parking here. So just to really eliminate as many obstacles as we can. Right, and it's such a, um, it's such a genuinely compassionate gesture to say, yeah. you know, we understand, we know, we are, we are a hub of knowledge of, to know what, what it costs to have cancer and what it costs your life to have cancer. And so at the very least, you're providing these services for free. And I think, like you say, there is this exhale mm-hmm. that can happen um, once someone enters your doors. So you were talking mm-hmm. about how difficult it is sometimes for people to, to walk in the door, first of all, to really acknowledge that they have cancer and what that might mean or not knowing what that might mean. Um, almost a shame sometimes, you know, that, and people have a tendency to isolate, right? When they, when mm-hmm. they get such news or when they are um, yeah. confronted with such a, a challenge. Um, and so you're offering just the opposite of isolation. Absolutely. Very much so, yes. 
And that's one of the things that in the philosophy from Harold Benjamin that Julia spoke of a little bit is that this finding of, of isolation and unwanted aloneness and uh, loss of hope and loss of control. And all of those together really make it so it can be difficult. So coming into somewhere for the very first time, there's another unknown there that's just an added unknown in the, in the course of possible diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. So um, being able to, to come in these doors and be with others. So maybe if the discussion's not about cancer, you're still with others who get you. And many times the discussion is about cancer, and we give people that space to talk about things that maybe they are not talking about with family or friends or just feel like they need to hide um, some people come in and they haven't shared it with their coworkers. So it really gives them a space to be open and who they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and there's also this issue of safety. People feel safe here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also speaks to being free of charge. People know that when they come in here, they're not going to get a pitch. You know, we're not going to yes. ask them for anything. And, you know, they're going to feel safe in so many ways to, to be who they need to be during this experience. Yes. And so who do they need to be during this experience? <laughs> Shannon, I, I think you could probably speak to that, but I can also yeah. speak for myself as a caregiver. You, you, you need to be whoever you think you need to be. And we're, you know, we're that vessel for you to find, um, to find yourself, to find how you want to deal with your, with your cancer and, and everything that goes with it. But Shannon, as a clinician, I'm sure you have something much more articulate to say than I just, than oh. I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about articulate, but but absolutely, that's a conversation that people have about um, what it, what the meaning behind the cancer and the experience that they're going through. Does it change them? And some some really do feel like that there's a, a big change, and some maybe they want to kind of go through this as if you know this is still me and cancer is just just something that's happening. It's cancer is not who I am. But even finding mm-hmm. a new normal beyond treatment. So there's many different ways of finding meaning, finding who you are. And, and those are ongoing conversations that are held in this community on a regular basis. I know that some people I've, you know, people that I know have, have talked about, you know, their cancer as being a wake-up call. As, you know, mm-hmm. uh, asking them to examine their lives and look at, well, what isn't working, you know, and I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. they necessarily know what caused the cancer, but given that they do have cancer, given that there's now a moment of significant change in their lives, they look at their lives Mm -hmm. and they say, okay, what isn't working? What, or what do I need to shed? Because I just simply don't have the energy to manage this illness Mm -hmm. and keep up all the things that I was doing. So can you talk about that? Because I know that you, um, you meet this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say that, that those, those elements of recognizing what's in our own control and what's not in our control. And so coming to that where these are the choices that I can make and really prioritizing what matters. So I, I agree, Sharon, there's times when people think, you know, I've been working in a job that I didn't really find joy in or I, 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 this isn't working for me. And sometimes having a diagnosis of cancer, something that kind of knocks you off your your regular path, you you can recognize what it is that you do want. Where do you want to find joy? Where do you want to find these moments that that really are meaningful to you? So I think there are elements of making new choices and and really seeing what matters and putting that as a priority in your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would say also that there's, um, it can change how people view 
um, their beliefs about cancer and about themselves and what they can cope with and what they can handle. I know it's extraordinary for people to come in here um, and meet somebody with their same diagnosis, uh, a person who thought, you know, they were going to die within six weeks, and then they meet somebody who's five years a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens a lot. You know, uh, somebody will walk in. I-, I knew a stage four ovarian cancer who was here for um, easily 15 years. Mm. And and when somebody met her you can, who had ovarian cancer, you can imagine the effect that that had on them and their belief as to what was possible for them and how that changed the way that they looked at themselves and how they were going to move through the next, um, you know, however many years of their lives. Yeah, you know, there's a real grace to, to that kind of sharing and um, <clears throat> both recognizing that what, I think, or what my fears tell me about what this diagnosis means and looking around and seeing mm-hmm. how other people have, um, have worked with it and have managed it is, is uh, it's really full of grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful word to use. It, it really is. So the, it's the very practical, you know, as Shannon was saying, what can you control, what can't you control? And then it also goes much higher in terms of, you know, philosophy of life and belief systems. And, um, and, and also I'd just like to add that this organization itself being founded in 1982 really in many ways changed the course of uh, cancer care and how um, we view cancer care within the larger community and, and, and country. You know, there, there was a time when it, it was just about the body, and uh, the Benjamins stepped in uh, via Harriet Benjamin had breast cancer in 1972, and stepped in and said, you know, it's not just the body, it's also our minds and our hearts and our spirits, you know, everything that make us who we are, and those need to be uh, cared for as well. And... Shannon, you probably have the names of these. I know, uh, or these organizations. I think it was in 2007, maybe, that the uh, uh, American uh, or the Institute of Medicine, American College of Surgeons, they um, started to state that you can't have quality cancer care without uh, services such as ours. Did I get those organization names correct? Yes. Shannon? Okay. Yes, so there was a, a report out by the Institute of Medicine and through the American College of Surgeons, and, and now that it's being implemented for uh, through the Commission on Cancer for accreditation standards that are in place for anybody that is delivering oncology services to really um, up that goal of making sure psychosocial services are um, a part of the, the whole treatment package and at least av- available to to people that are seeking services for their cancer, meaning they're going to look at the distress levels. They're going to see really how that person is coping through this illness and make sure that they have referrals and resources available um, either on-site or off-site where we can get referrals from local hospitals to our services. So people know that there's somewhere out there that they can talk to somebody and they can listen and they can get that, that strength and that support. Um, so absolutely, and that really did start in 2007 when it was found to be very necessary to implement this piece of care to to the whole cancer treatment. Well, because you offer... Uh meditation classes, mindfulness classes, yoga classes, different mm-hmm. types of um, movement awareness uh, practices. Mm-hmm. You know, these are not, these are not just um, in addition to counseling. So you're not just talking somebody through something. You're really offering them techniques of how to um, find deeper awareness within themselves and how to uh, move with, 
their emotional flux, right? Absolutely. Julia, do you want to speak a little to that or? Um, yeah, yes, I, I certainly can. You know, being here, uh, when I when I got here about 20 years ago, we had a few classes like that, Sharon. We had, I think we had a Tai Chi class and a, an exercise class, um, just a few things. Now we have over 20 classes per week of, of just w- what you were saying, meditation, mindfulness, movement. There be there be, I think there's a real hunger here um, with people to include, you know, to find ways to include their whole selves in their care. And that's very much a part of what we offer. Um, you know, gone are the days when a person would have cancer and they would go into the hospital and either they came out or they didn't, which is what happened with Harriet in 1972. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, um, I thought I was going to die and that was it. And I went in the hospital and Nobody wanted, I, I wanted, she, she would say, I wanted to talk about my cancer, but nobody wanted me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's why they formed this organization. So, and, and it's not just the talking. It's like you were saying, it's, it's the engagement of the mind, the body, and the spirit via these classes that's so important and via the groups. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was, um, I was just sitting in uh, my doctor's office yesterday, uh, belongs to the Cedar sinai group here in Los Angeles, a big hospital group. And there was a, there was a, um, a handout about mindfulness classes that, that are being mm-hmm. taught through Cedar sinai And I just thought, mm-hmm. yes, great. Yes, yes, yes. You know, yes. medicine is catching up. <laughs> yes. Mainstream yeah, medicine absolutely. is catching up. And I feel like, you know, a cancer support community has been leading the way and in inviting mainstream medicine as far as cancer treatment goes to include a larger picture. That's correct. I, and I know that Dr. Benjamin had to work very hard to convince the medical community that, that we were not being an alternative to care, but complementary to care. Um, but Shannon, did you want to say something about that? And now it's catching up, yes. as you said, Sharon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to speak to speak to that idea of that integrative medicine, we are uh, we offer services at ho- at the, the hospitals in the area, but we have mm-hmm. services here and it looks so different than possibly a very sterile medical environment. It's it's very soothing and relaxing here. And we welcome the conversation about integrative medicine and we encourage people to try different classes and and get you know movement and integrate that into their their care. And Beyond that, we're open to all different ideas of how people want to have treatment. So we don't turn anyone away. We don't make anyone feel uncomfortable if they're choosing um, traditional medicine, if they're going for a more Eastern medicine, if they're looking for something else. We really want this to be a safe place for people to come that have a cancer diagnosis or they are living with somebody that has a cancer diagnosis as a caregiver and being able to be in a non-judgmental environment and get that support. So whether it be through our healthy lifestyle classes that really do bring in those ideas that Tai Chi and, and Qigong and that energy work to just being in the community and talking with people in a, in a non-judgmental environment. Which is so important because I think when people uh, do receive a diagnosis of cancer, they're just flung into an overwhelm of uh, choices that they have to make that are very important choices. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. not always obvious the route to go. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, exactly. And our groups um, provide uh, a lot of networking opportunities in the sense of, you know, what different things are people trying? Um 
Shannon, I'm sure you could speak more to that, but we don't tell people what to do, as Shannon says, but, you know, our groups become this extraordinary resource for the people in the groups. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Julia, because uh, people can get so much information from one another. And it is our, our kind of philosophy here to not give advice, not point anybody in a, in a specific direction. And even in the, su- the support groups, uh, we are all licensed facilitators that run the group. So I'm a clinical psychologist. We have many marriage and family therapists on staff, some licensed clinical social workers. But in that room, we call ourselves facilitators because the experts in the room are all of those that attend, and we are there to just help them have these conversations with one another. Um, and th- there's so much that can come out of that by just learning from other people's experiences. And then a lot of times it goes really to a deeper level, too, about how emotionally people are being impacted by the, the course of their disease or by caregiving for somebody. So absolutely, the, the networking piece is wonderful. And um, I've had it happen even at an orientation meeting where we bring people in for the very first time so we can give them a tour and introduce them to our calendar and um, we talk about the, the social impact and that networking piece, as Julia said, but then to see it in action, I've seen people share their phone numbers with one another at the orientation meeting and thinking, you know, even if they don't return, if they leave here and get together outside of here, that, that's a, an amazing step forward. So it's really to get people to, to get support from us, from one another, and just by building that network. That's, that's the idea of community. Yeah, mm-hmm. very helpful community. Very helpful mm-hmm. community. Um, so I know that, you know, people's fear when they receive the diagnosis of cancer is that they will die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that death is present as a possibility for, well, certainly for everybody, but when you have cancer, somehow you feel that it brings you uh, much closer to that possibility. And so conversations mm-hmm. about death, reality of death, um, I'm sure there are participants that um, that you no longer see who who pass from cancer in one way or another. So how how is death part of the context, part of the conversation um, in cancer support community? How do you work with death? Mm-hmm. So I think um, there, there's such a sense of hope here, and that's how the the uh, founders kind of created our community. But it's grown to be a place of acceptance. So there's absolute hope. But when someone dies, there's a conversation that we have so we can support one another in that process and what that, how that impacts those that are still living. And they can, we open the community to give that space for people in our groups to share what that person meant to them and what it means to them to just in their own in their own treatment and and what they're going through so we really like to keep that as a conversation um and then death there really can be hope along the journey and then really finding a sense of meaning so even those that might come in with a late stage cancer or um in stage they can really talk about what they find meaningful in their life what do they want to leave as their legacy what is what matters to them now and i think giving them a space to have those talks because they can be difficult conversations and a lot of times it's hard to find a a really safe place to have those conversations so we want to make that space available to people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i would say too um the caregiver piece in terms of of death is very 
important. Um, having been a caregiver myself, um, oftentimes we hear caregivers come in here and think, and, and I felt this way as well, you know, oh, it, I don't really need this, the support. It's the person with cancer or I feel a little guilty that I'm even reaching out for support because I'm not the one with cancer. But, but really as, as a caregiver, you can feel so helpless and, and this idea of losing of, of, of your loved one dying is so ever present and is so impactful to the life that you're trying to live for yourself and to help the other person, that it, it's just such a necessary conversation to, um, to help you as a caregiver get through it and support yourself and support the other person. I, I don't know how you cannot have a conversation about it, but as Shannon said, there, there's not a lot of safe places to have that conversation. People will reach out to friends and they don't really want to have that conversation. They don't really um, understand what's happening. Uh, I know that Harriet, and I actually heard this from a young man the other day here, she lost friends, you know, people who really didn't want to you know, go uh, go on this journey, if if you will, with her. Didn't want to talk about these big big issues. And this young man who was in his twenties, I, I was talking to him yesterday, and he said the same thing that he just had people who weren't returning his calls. So I and I think that that death, the the the, the discussion of death is a is a big part of that. It's, it's it, as Shannon said, it's a tough conversation. These are tough things to talk about. Well, it's difficult for people to face their own death. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, having someone who is, who is ill or perhaps close to death in your midst, you know, forces you to confront it in your own life, as well mm -hmm. as um, the sorrow of, of perhaps losing them. I mean, it's really a strange mm -hmm. human, uh, human quality <laughs> that, you know, sure. it's that sure. some of the times when we really need to be leaning in the most, we we mm. hold back and CSC strikes me as a place. I was just going to say the CSC strikes me as a place where people are really leaning in. They're really leaning into one mm. another. They're really leaning into these difficult conversations and they're mm -hmm. finding a way to, to elevate it and find humor in it. Right. There's, um, mm. there's lots of humor and you use humor, right? Can you talk a little bit about how you work we with humor? We do have humor. So on, on the, a, a big level, we actually just this past Monday had comedians visit our community, and they're regularly on our schedule. We have Jason Love. He's a comedian, and he's creating his own nonprofit called Love and Laughter, and he invites local comedians to come in, and we have a, a great attendance. And the very first time that I was here when we offered this on our, our calendar of, of comedians coming into the community, one of our members came to me afterwards and said, this is the first time I've laughed since I was diagnosed. Oh. Because I think sometimes mm. people don't give themselves that, that, that opportunity. And that was just a huge, mm. that, that kind of feedback was just heartwarming to me, to be able to see somebody really open up and experience this laughter and joy um, because it can mm. you can have that laughter and joy uh, even through this experience and and that it, that's wonderful and that humor is in the support groups we've often had people comment because um, we'll have often caregiver groups and and participant groups for people that have a diagnosis at the same time so that each person can get their own support and and be able to share what's going on for them personally but uh, and then get together and, and go home and, and be together after the groups. 
But there's often times when the caregivers will hear laughter in the room next door, thinking, what are they all laughing about in there? Because there is that piece to to bring humor into the conversation, to help that um, coping with difficult situations. I think that's one way of really kind of giving a, a, a little extra assistance. Definitely, and that's part of our lineage, too. With uh, Gilda Radner, one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live, came to our community in the 80s. Um, and, you know, so we have a, a long-standing tradition here um, of joke fests and comedy nights, as, as Shannon said. Uh, you know, it's a very, very important part of that hope piece that, that, that Shannon talked about. And wasn't the work of Norman Cousins also a foundational piece of the early wellness community? Yes, it sure was. Norman Cousins and and Dr. Benjamin were were friends. And as Dr. Benjamin was um, uh, conceiving of this idea of, uh, at that time, what was called the wellness community, he he ran the idea by Norman Cousins. And uh, Norman Cousins thought it was a, a terrific one. And just can you just uh, talk a little bit about Norman Cousins and just say who he, who he, um, the work that he was doing, because he was using yes, laughter you know, I, to heal. He was, and and you know, Sharon, that's that's I don't know a lot about Norman Cousins uh, other than that. I know that his work was very pioneering at the time. This idea of using laughter to heal, and you know, there was all of this. It seems to me at that time, I guess that was the early 80s, maybe late 70s, where, you know, people were starting to think about the immune system and the mind-body connection and how, how we are not just the body, but our emotions affect, affect us as well. So I know that Norman Cousins was a pioneer in that line of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I like to use humor in my work, in my writing work, um, even, you know, when I'm uh, putting across difficult messages or political messages, I feel like humor opens Mm. people up. You know, I Mm -hmm. say that when people are laughing, their mouths are open, their throats are open, and it's easier to Mm -hmm. slide the message for the message to slide in. (laughs) And so the same thing when people are laughing, when they're open, when their spirits are open, it's it it um, it is, first of all, good for the immune system and um, yeah, and helps um, help soothe and solve um, some of the some of the fears and anxieties that that people carry when they're uh, when they're moving with this disease or with people that they love mm-hmm. who have this disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it creates that that uh, it enhances that sense of community of people coming together and enjoying something together, enjoying comedy nights, etc. That's right. So um, I I think I told you before we started that this conversation was going to go quickly and before we knew it, it was going to be time to end. And so it is, it's coming to that time. But I did want to ask you uh, two things before we finish. And one is, so anyone listening who might have cancer or might be caring for someone with cancer, um, what is it that you would like them to know right now? For for me, I think it would be that they're not alone and Mm -hmm. that um, people go through the diagnosis and treatment on their own, but they don't have to. And if if they want to reach out, we're here for them and they'll they'll be able to be part of a community of of others that get it and um, to to really reach out and, and try to embrace that. And just to add that these, that, you know, I'm talking to you from Los Angeles, but there are many, many 
chapters all over the United States. Correct. And it's the Cancer Support Community and Gilda's Club, we should say, as well. You know, we're all the same organization. So if you see a Gilda's Club in a city, um, that's part of the Cancer Support Community. So um, there's, I think, as you said at the beginning, Sharon, there's about 50 of us around the country. And we have a cancer support helpline that I can give you, and this is for anybody that needs to speak with somebody. There's licensed marriage and family therapists or other clinicians that answer the calls. They also can share resources, and they can get people connected to an affiliate that's in their area. And the helpline number is 888-793-9355. That's great. And so, Julia, what would you like people to know? Well, you know, I have heard so many times over the years here that people come in here and they say, you know, I didn't think I was a group person, you know, or I, I didn't think that I would like this. You know, I waited a year or, and I got here and now I am a group person. <laughs> now I see the value. And also, not just that, but for people to know that they can use our community in whatever way they want. There are people who use 15 things a week, and there are some people who just want to come and meditate, and that's fine. So we don't tell them, you know, you have to do this, this, and this. So I've also heard people say, uh, when I've asked them this question, when I'm writing an article or something, I ask them, you know, what do you want to tell people? And people basically say, just try it. You know, come on by and try it and see what you think. Again, there's no pitch. It's free of charge. Um, there's no pushing to do any one thing. And as Shannon said, it, you're not alone. And if you're a caregiver and you're, your loved one doesn't come, that's fine. You can come and use our services as a caregiver as well. So don't think that you know, it's a package deal where you have to come with the person who has cancer. You can also come alone on your own. Oh, that's beautiful. So how can our listeners find you? And if they live in other cities besides Los Angeles, how can they find the cancer support community in the cities where they live? Sure. Well, in Los Angeles, our website is cancersupportla.org. And then around the country, it's cancersupportcommunity.org. And anybody around the country can go on that website and there'll be a you know a zip code area there for um, a location. And keep in mind, if you see a, a city that might be a little bit far from you in your state, there might be some outreach or satellite offices. So do try and call that particular location and see what else is around. That's wonderful. Well, Shannon and Julia, I thank you so much for talking to me today and for providing all of these services and all of this compassion for people at a time when they really need uh, community and hope and answers. Thank you, Sharon. It's been such a pleasure. Okay. Yes, thank you, Sharon. Thank you. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.